Welcome to Lamenting the Leafs. I'm Cam McCackern, joined as always by Nick Richard and Keith Whipple, and this is Jackass. <laughs> uh, it's time to live up to our name here, boys. Uh, last time we recorded was after that loss to Arizona. And if I remember correctly, we suggested something along the lines that, you know, maybe the Leafs had gotten their big embarrassing loss for the season out of the way early. <laughs> uh, happier days. Happier days. Uh, so they, they, they beat Dallas and Winnipeg after that. I, I thought they looked especially good against the Jets, had the feel of maybe a get-right game. And then they went to Vegas and California and pissed all over themselves. And, and there are plenty of things ailing the Leafs right now. Uh, Nick, what's standing out for you at the moment? Oh, geez, it's it's difficult to pinpoint just one thing. Um, I will say that the uh, Western road trip couldn't have really come at a worse time for this team, considering everything that was going on around them. But I, I've been really frustrated with just like the overall puck management. I think Sheldon Keefe has alluded to it a couple of times. The difficulty that they're having getting out of their own end cleanly, just like their defensemen going back and retrieving pucks and being able to make that first pass to, to start the breakout and get through the neutral zone with possession, controlled entries and things like that. And then when they do finally get into the offensive zone on the rare occasions that they have had sustained possession, it just feels like everything is around the outside. They're waiting for something to open up rather than making something open up. And it just, they don't look right. They don't look like the Leafs that we've come to know over the last few years in terms of what they do offensively. It just feels really static right now. And they're lacking that like dynamic quality that we've seen so often out of guys like Mariner and Matthews and not just often, but consistently. And they're the ones that have been driving this team for the last couple of years. And, you know, as was mentioned maybe by someone within the organization a couple weeks ago. The elite guys have not been elite just yet. And I think that, you know, this team is going to go as far as those two. I mean, they're not the only two. They have a, a supporting cast below them of guys like Tavares and Nylander and, and what have you. But this team is going to go as far as Matthews and Mariner take them. And they just haven't really been able to drive that bus uh, the way they have in the last couple of years so far. Yeah. And I think that last point that you just made is kind of what I've been kind of, you know, what's been flying around my head with all of this nonsense lately is like the bottom six is taking some heat and, you know, there's plenty of things that I think that we can maybe criticize Dubas on over the years, but the notion that, <clears throat> You know, he didn't do enough to to kind of replace last year's scoring from like Spezza and and Mikheyev doesn't really make a lot of sense to me because I mean Robertson's coming in. Yarn Croak has scored at a fifteen goal pace his entire career. I've mentioned before that, you know, again, and that was in Nashville, you put him in the right situation with some better line mates in a more offensive system and you might, you know, get a little more than that out of him and Obey Kubel had 11 goals in 67 games last year. Now, you can debate their effectiveness as Leafs so far. I mean, it's been limited, obviously. But the the idea that the kind of thought process was, wasn't there to, you know, bring or re- replace that offense just doesn't really check out, like, the math. The math's not quite there for that. And, and even then, like, it's not – the way that the, the bottom six is constructed is definitely, you know, especially the camp line. Like, it's obviously defense-heavy. And that's been something that Keith's kind of wanted since day one and has been, you know, by all accounts, handpicked a guy like Obey Kubel to, to be on the team. 
and, and probably Aston Reese as well. So it, it doesn't, yeah, like it's not necessarily fair to be looking at them and being like, well, they're not scoring and the team's not winning. Like this team's only going to go as far as Matthews and Marner take them. This, like you said, this, this bottom six was built to defend leads that those guys get. It's not exactly fair for, to, for them to be the ones to have to get it. And they're still producing camps has three goals. Oh, uh, Darren Croak has two goals. Like these guys are still, you know, Morgan is a new addition. He's been kind of in between the, in kind of the middle six. He's, he's got two goals. Like these guys are producing, more so than the top line. You nailed something there, Keith. Like these guys were brought in with designs on them playing with the lead and helping to defend leads and things like that. Tons of defensive zone starts, etc. The Leafs have led in hockey games like not very much this season. I think they're no, they're near yeah. the bottom of the league in terms of time spent playing with a lead, and it's just not a favorable situation for those players to be playing in and they aren't the ones that are supposed to be going out and building those leads to, to play with. So I, I think, again, you've got to be looking no. at the top of the lineup to be picking up that slack. And it, it's just, they make everything click the way that it's supposed to click or the way that it was designed to click. And it just hasn't happened yet. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's more of a, a management criticism than anything, right? Like more so than the, the bottom six itself, because I, I think that like, if you were to look at it from the angle of like maybe last year, they didn't get enough uh, secondary scoring. So it's not as much about replacing them as, as maybe it was bulking it up. That's obviously not yeah. really super viable with, with the cap situation, but kind of brings me to, to one of my points which is I don't think it's been a particularly strong year for Sheldon Keefe and not even from a tactic or a, a, a decision standpoint I think he's had a really bad year in the media but like on on the on ice side of it like you need to get a little bit of pop when you have a bunch of guys like Camp and Obey Kubel and Aston Reese, who you know are not going to give you anything on the offensive end. You got to be able to rely on a guy like Nick Robertson, who I, I feel like has looked pretty good to me. And, you know, he, he's obviously got shortcomings just based on the fact that he's so young, he's small. Uh, you know, he, he, he needs to learn the defensive side of the game and, and figure out how to defend NHLers. But, uh, like, as far is giving you a spark there aren't many guys who are going to be able to 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 maybe break things open from a bottom six standpoint like he can and it looks like he's going to be scratched against philly um i mean he, he's not obviously the the cure-all or anything but he certainly um, hasn't just, been the problem either or not the not no, the big one no, <laughs> no exactly and it's just again a smaller thing like keith to me uh when we recorded last time like he, he had made those comments about elite players need to be elite after the Arizona game and we didn't even touch on it because I feel like we just it it went without saying <laughs> you know we agreed with that and, and it seemed quite obvious and then the the shit show that followed the the uh, things just spiraled out of control he w- had had to go back to the media a couple of times and it just hasn't been a good look in the media I felt um you know th- that like you know going back and forth saying that you know he, he had to clarify the comments to the players which which made the players look soft 
but it almost certainly wasn't like a, a player thing, but that, that was like the confirmation bias. These guys are soft. They, they needed a, an apology yeah. from the coach. And, and like that was going to be the inevitable takeaway if he didn't handle it well and, and he bungled it. And, and then he had to go back and say that he was managing the media, which comes off as like an arrogant, like I just thought it was the worst showing the Leafs have had in the media since like the Nona's days, since the glory days of Dave Poulan going on every single day on TSN radio and just putting his foot in his mouth. Uh, it took me a, a little bit back to those days. And, and, you know, like obviously the mood in the, in the fan base is, you know, quite sour based on the fact that we're, you know, almost 10 minutes in here and we've just been bitching about the way the season has gone. But like, you gotta, you gotta look at the fact that, you know, um, the fans are kind of they're taking their lead from somewhere because obviously it is early in the season and, and like if you want to preach that it's early in the season you have to keep things in perspective like you're also benching guys in game one like Michael Bunting got benched after scoring the first goal of the season uh, and then like again those comments after game four calling out players like it, it seems like the coach is, is feeling the pressure a little bit so you know uh, yes probably the fans are overreacting some that's always going to happen but uh, you know they are taking their lead a little bit from from somewhere here and, and I, I just uh, you know I, I don't think that Sheldon Keefe I, I don't want to say that he shouldn't be fired, I, I, and I don't know that it's you know not going to happen. Uh, I, I think he's probably okay for a little bit, but who knows? Like yeah, a couple more losses, and I think like anything's probably on the table. But um, I, I don't necessarily think that that's going to going to fix things. I, I just don't think that he's uh, really covered himself in glory so far. No, and you, like you nailed it with the like there's there's an on ice component to that kind of poor showing that that Keith's had to it had this year in in kind of the fans eyes and the media's media eyes too and it's not just benching guys but it's just been the like the lineup construction like it feels like they've been scrambling ever since then right throwing shit at the wall and and I understand you know if shit's not working you switch it up but again not to just keep talking about the bottom six because I think the top six for the most part's been the same but like you again he was it was said that Obey Kubel was his guy Aston Reese was the worst kept secret all offseason that they were signing him, but obviously just waiting for like some deck chairs to shuffle with the cap. What did they get together with camp? Like two games and then it was gone. And I don't think they've been back together as a threesome yet, maybe for another game or something like that. It hasn't been an extended look. So if, if again, like you said it perfectly, if you're going to preach, you know, Hey, you know, trust the process. It's going to, you know, it's going to, the ship will write eventually. And, you know, and, and I'm somebody that's saying that too. Like I fully believe like, like Austin Matthews isn't going to shoot 5% all year. This is going to, you know, normalize a little bit and we're going to see, you know, the offense come around. We're not seeing that from the team. We're not seeing that kind of like steady on the rudder that you, Nick, you mentioned earlier. Like it's, it's very frantic. It's very scrambly. It's very just like panic mode. And it looks like a guy who, feels like his job might be, you know, his job security is starting to kind of become a question in his well, mind. Well, I think it was four or five games ago, I said to you guys in the group chat, like, my God, this looks like a team that's going to have a new coach in a couple of weeks. But I don't, I don't necessarily agree that that's the right thing to happen as much as it kind of looks and feels that way right now. I still think that there's got to be the accountability on the players 
but getting back to what you guys are talking about, it's just that that scrambly mindset or that kind of grasping at straws that it feels like is happening right now is kind of permeating its way through the entire team, getting into the fan base. And it's just, everything feels like a mess right now. And I I don't know what the answer is aside from getting that top line going. And it's got to be on those guys to really pull themselves out of it and in turn, pull the team out of it. Yeah, it's, it's and it starts with with Matthews and Mariner. Yeah, I mean, you know, you talk about the lineup. Like, there, there's another big one. Like, the refusal to break those two up is you know, yeah, he's changing like, everything. Else. It's going to cost him his job eventually. Like, it's and you know, like the the you go back to you know the talk about whatever the the rumors that you know Mariner was demanding this or demanding that with regards to you know lineup construction and, and like it again. It's one of those things where like his, his refusal. Maybe it's his refusal. Maybe it is purely Sheldon Keefe, but it just. It looks like, you know, it, it just when you're already kind of cranky about the, the performance of the team, it just it, it's easy to kind of kind of feed into all of those uh, narratives about, you know, the, the mental makeup of, of the team and et cetera, which is probably unfair. Like you look at the numbers and, and those two guys are still kind of tilting the ice and, and they're just they're not getting the bounces right now. But like that's good, as good a reason as any for me to like, like break them up, put them out there with guys who are finishing. And like, you know, if they're tilting the ice, maybe they're still able to do that, but they're just stapled to each other right now and it's just not working um and uh, yeah it's it's frustrating as hell and and obviously they're getting frustrated too yeah well we saw that uh, against anaheim on sunday night mitch's little trip down the hallway there uh, with a fresh twig that never saw the light of day again but i i mean I, again that's something that gets so blown up especially in toronto you know everything does going back to those comments from Keefe nowhere else other than Toronto would that stuff have been a talking point for four or five days like it was here but that's also the nature of playing in this market and it just feels like the entire group is having a hard time you know weathering that pressure or, or managing it and being able to you know play up to their capabilities when things aren't really going their way yeah I mean how many times have we seen guys break sticks on the bench so it's the only the only difference is he went down the tunnel to do it like i i know there was a lot made of that when it happened but how many times have we heard the you know complaint that this team doesn't show enough passion or show that they give a shit or whatever like was he doing it because he got like he was whining and complaining that he got benched or was he doing it because he was the reason for two goals against and was has been playing like shit and the team's playing like shit and it all just kind of piled up who knows but he's hardly the first guy to fucking break a stick in the middle of a game. I don't, I, I wasn't fully understanding the, uh, I mean, I know it was raw and in the moment and everybody's mad that they're losing to one of the worst teams in the league, but it seemed a bit much like I was more upset with Mitch and, you know, was fully supporting benching him for his play. Yeah. I don't really give a shit that he broke a stick. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, and I mean, I think that, you know, people are, would mostly be fine with that. It's just, it, it's also like the double talk, right? Like the, the, I'm, I'm not mad actually a- after the game where it's, you know, like we're, we're confident and we're, we're this and we're that. And, and, and you know, it's like, it just, just admit that you sucked and you had a bad game and you're going to work hard and, and come back strong. Like it's, 
it's like the us against the world stuff in the media too that I feel like probably just contributes to some of the frustration in the fan base because it's like you know it, like it's one thing to suck but it's like there's been a lot of talk about you know the uh, how how it's just not a fun team to root for right now it hasn't really been a lot um, uh, you know at a, a lot of different points over the last few years but it is really coming to a head right now yeah well normally you at least get treated to watching Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner do their thing and you know again it's just it all comes back to that not to continue to pile on to those guys because they're far from the only ones that are underperforming at this point in the season but that's the responsibility that comes along with you know signing those big contracts and wanting to be the ones to lead the charge for this team Uh, and yeah they just they really have to find their way out of this and I'm sure they will Austin Matthews is arguably the best goal scorer on the planet today it just hasn't gone that way for him so far this season he doesn't look quite like himself in terms of dominating with the puck on his stick and getting to the inside it feels like he's kind of hunting space more so than he typically does kind of waiting for that open shot from a, a pass from Mariner more so than creating his own shot like we've seen in the past and I, I just think once those guys get right, a lot of this noise and these questions are, are going to start to dissipate. Well, the entire makeup of the team just falls into place yeah. at that point. Like they are built, they're built to play with the lead. They're built to like, they're not a, a, a run and gun offensive team. Like in the past, we've seen them defend quite well. And, and you know, maybe that, that kind of got, I don't know, like undermined a little bit from some suspect goaltending that, that makes it hard to, you know, for people to accept that kind of that assessment of the team, but they, they, they were pretty good defensively um, for the last couple of years, if not great, you know, in terms of allowing scoring chance, like quality of scoring chances against them, they've doubled down on that defensive ability. So like I said earlier, like if, if they can go out and get leads, like they, you know, that top six should be able to do, that that really kind of plays into the way that I think they've kind of constructed this team. And is it not pretty fucking funny that we've spent the first twenty minutes of this podcast, you know, lamenting the the, the Leafs and not talked about the goaltending once the entire time when that was going to be the big question mark coming into the year? I mean, I think it's pretty clear that Shalgren is not the guy uh, to back up either one of these two goaltenders that they have, and and if injuries continue to be a, a factor for Matt Murray. They're going to have to remedy that because they can't keep trotting Schalgren yep. out there. Um, but I mean, Ilya Samson has been great. I, I like he, he's like one of the few bright spots in the season, if not the only. Yeah. And I want to talk more about the goaltending because I, I, I did have that down as, you know, something that, you know, it, obviously in the preseason and even in the first week of the season, like up until the point Murray got hurt. And then, you know, the, the, the conversation just kind of, quieted right down and, and you know now it's about the the larger team performance because Samsonov has been awesome but um, just, just to stay on with the top line like you know it does fall so much on the top line the top six specifically but you know Matthews and Marner and, and like what do you do there if the, the insistence is to keep them together because like we mentioned the the benchings for bunting at a couple of points already this season and you know, he's looked bad at points. Like the legs yeah. have not been there. It seems like he's overthinking things sometimes and he's just not getting to his spots regularly. And you just can't have it in that spot on the wing with those two, right? So, like, you got to do something. And I don't know if Alexander Kerfoot is the answer there. So, like, what do you do to, to sure jumpstart this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. I think, again, I think you look back to that 
line as one of the best lines in hockey last year. And you can argue how impactful bunting was on that, but he certainly didn't slow them down. So I, I would be inclined to, to stick with that line. Like I know there's some talk around like, well, you know, Keith's doing everything, changing everything, but he's not changing that line and not breaking up Matthews and Marner. Well, I can, I can at least understand that. Like I can get not breaking up the best duo offensively outside of maybe, you know, dry and, and McDavid when they play on together, like there aren't many guys that can do what they do. And yes, you can argue for spreading the wealth a little bit, but you can also argue for absolutely dominating when they're on the ice, which I don't, you know, they have certainly not been as dominant as they, they have been in the past, but they, like you said earlier, Cam, they're still tilting the ice when they're on the ice together. Which So like I, I would be inclined to, to keep that line together, but I do think it's pretty clear that they don't have an answer for the second line left winger. And I mean, Nick Robertson could be that guy, but clearly the team doesn't think he is right now. And that's, that's, that would be, that's going to be a big kind of area of concern for me for the season is finding somebody to play with, with Tavares and Nylander because they they don't have it right now. Well, that's been kind of a point of frustration for me. I mean, it's no secret that I'm a big fan of Nick Robertson and, you know, it's been exciting to watch him continue to develop and earn the opportunity that he's got for himself now, but I think even in that first game of the season, and we didn't really get a chance to talk about it, his first game of the season against Dallas, you know, he showed the ability to be a game breaker. He was, not only did he score two big goals, including the overtime winner, he was the best player on the ice for either team, like regardless of of the production in that game. He was all over the ice. He was making plays in the defensive zone. He was taking hits to move pucks to his teammates. And just I just don't understand why he's kind of been, I don't want to say punished, but it seems like his usage has gone down with each passing game since then. And like you said earlier, Cam, I think he's looked really good. I know some of the expected goals numbers aren't that great, but the Leafs do have 60% of the even strength goals that have occurred when Robertson is on the ice. So, I mean, I would have liked to see him get a longer look in in that spot because I think that line was actually working well and Nylander and Tavares have actually been pretty decent early on in the season. I think you could make the case that Nylander has probably been, you know, the best overall forward throughout the course of the season so far. Uh, But we've seen Alex Kerfoot in that spot before. I don't think we need to go back to that and and see it again. Um, I just would have liked to see a little bit more runway for Robertson to to prove that he is capable of filling that role and, and a little more time for him to build chemistry with that trio. I just think with you know the cap space freed up because I don't think Muzzin's coming back. I think that's yeah, that's been think- kind of said a few times without actually saying it. Um, I, there's 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 a lot more flexibility that this team has, and and if you can finally, they, yeah, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's maybe they're trying to move on from Justin Hall and they just can't. But I mean, there, there's there's room with the way that the roster is kind of shaking up now with cap space to add a you know four or five million dollar forward, and that brings um, us to our that, brand new segment, Timo time. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and that's I mean, listen, that that's my number one guy because I think he fits the exact mold of now. Listen, he's an RFA at the end of the year. He's an extremely good fucking hockey player that San Jose would be out of their mind to to let go, and I don't think that he necessarily will. But hey, he doesn't have a contract. 
they're not a good team. They might be looking to get a little bit younger, even though he's only like 24 or 25. Um, yeah, he's obviously target number one for me because he's big. He's, he, you know, he crashes a bit. He's good on the four check. He's great offensively. He's good, solid defensively. He's, I think, exactly the type of player that would play very well with, with, uh, with Tavares and Nylander. But even then, like, I get where you're coming from, Nick, about Robertson. Well, well, don't get me wrong either. I think ideally you have that player like you're talking about, you know, some someone right. in that mold or whatever, maybe not necessarily Timo Meyer. Yeah, exactly. And there's no point in this team ending the season with $5 million in cap space. Like, I, they're going to fill it. So that's that's the area for me. I mean, I know the defense has been suspect, but I still think that unless you're getting rid of Hall, there's not really an, a spot to add on the defense right now. And unless, like I said, unless you're getting rid of Hall. So there's plenty of guys that I think you could upgrade for the same amount of money as Hall and, and, and you know, give you a, a net positive kind of impact. But I think if you're in an ideal world for me, Robertson's yeah. playing on the third line with Kerfoot, with Kerfoot and Yarncroak and, and feasting on the, the kind of lower competition after everybody throws the kitchen sink at shutting down the top six. Yeah. I think you, you're bang on in a perfect world. You've got that, you know, ready-made piece for the top six to kind of round out that group. And then you have that sheltered scoring line and you let Robertson go to work with that group. But that's just not the state of the roster right now. And I I think that Robertson is still their, you know, best option for adding some offensive punch beyond, you know, the four main guys. Yeah, and I think that there's a larger conversation there, too, just about like the way that the Leafs have kind of trended towards like more conservative decision making, conservative like players um, after, you know, they they brought in the big boys. Right. Like it's um, like we talked about Robertson and, and, you know, Nick, you talked about the Dallas game and like having that guy who can break a a game open. If you've already decided that your bottom six is going to be largely devoid of those players and then you're going to decide that, like, you know, Alex Kerfoot is the guy that you, you sub in on the left wing on the top line. And, you know, Robertson gets the shaft on ice time and eventually ends up in the press box. Uh, like you're, you're just you're taking your ceiling down with every one of those players that you decide to go with, like a more conservative option instead. Right. Your ceiling yeah. is just being lowered. And it's, you know, like you said about Timo Meyer, like you need to have guys who can create their own shot right now. You know, and, and there's only so many of those guys that the, the Leafs are able to, to roll out there, right? And you got two of them playing on the same line at all times, and it's you know, it's just uh, you, you're not leaving yourself a whole lot of margin, right? Like it's the room for error is is smaller and smaller, and like I understand, um, you know, like a guy like Nick Robertson is is obviously like if you can get a guy like Timo Meyer, like that. That's that's well, it changes the calculus altogether. Yeah. Yeah. Course, I yeah. mean, I mean, like a guy like, you know, you look at Nick Robertson, like he's he's going to like, a, you know, you play 100 games and he's going to give you a game breaking performance, you know, certainly more than uh, more often than like Obey Kubel or Aston Reese would. But, you know, you look at like how many games is he going to, you know, potentially give up a game winner because of a, a defensive lapse. And like that, that's the calculation that the, the coach is making. So it's. It's one of those things where, like, you just have to kind of bite the bullet sometimes, and you know, it's almost like the Leafs have convinced themselves that you know their their high end is so good that they can kind of hamstring themselves in a lot of other areas of the lineup, and it's kind of not proving to be true here early in the season. Yeah, and that's 
kind of adds to my frustration with Robertson because I thought the biggest thing with his progression that we saw in the preseason and even, you know, early on with his audition with the big club in the regular season here has been that the the capability for him to create offense and be a difference maker in that part of the game has reached a high enough floor that the team should be able to live with the warts that are still in his game. And I think that's kind of my biggest point of frustration right now is that you've seen what he can do for this team offensively. And I think at this point, given the the troubles they've had goal scoring, like they're in, in the bottom five league wide in terms of goals scored per game, I think you've just got to be able to live with those warts and the rest of the, the lineup should be able to kind of make up for that, especially when you've designed such a, a defensively oriented bottom six. Yeah. And I think that, you know, back to my original point about ideal world of him on the third line, I think if, you know, you're playing him with guys that are a bit more disp- defensively responsible to kind of insulate him a little bit. Cause I mean, Tavares has looked a lot better this year, um, you know, getting around the ice. So I think that that that's helpful in that in that line with him. But for the most part, I mean, playing him against lower competition and playing him with some guys who are a little bit more responsible to insulate him is probably the better way to ease him into the lineup. But like you said, that's not the construction of the team right now. And I think they, you know, he's better served at the moment playing um, with those two guys for the kind of offensive output that, 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 you know, that he would give you over, you know, what we've seen Kerfoot be able to do from, from that spot. You know how um, when you were a kid, there were like those little kind of science experiments you could do just using items around the house. Like there was one where you take a, a bowl of water and then you shake a bunch of pepper into the bowl of water. And then you put a little bit of soap on your finger. And then when you put the soapy finger in the water, it repels all the pepper away. You know what I'm talking about? Not a clue. No, <laughs> I think okay. I know where you're going with it. But yes, I do. Know, I, I know the experiment. So, but I think I know it, where you're yeah, going. Yeah, so it, it's a good little free idea for you. You can distract your girls for like 15 minutes with that. Great. Uh, anyway, the pepper and soap are Pierre Engvall and any form of body contact <laughs> yeah. right oh, now. Oh, my Jesus God. Jesus Christ. We are officially back on the punt Pierre Engvall to the Sun train. Man, my God, I can't, I like I cannot stand watching him. Like I, he had me fooled for a little bit last season, but I straight up cannot stand this guy. Like he's got a ten cent head. All I picture is a monkey banging two symbols together between his ears. Like, <laughs> uh, I, I just can't with him. I, I have nothing else to say. I can't stand watching this guy anymore. And it's so frustrating because I can I can sit there and be like. Yeah, man, I get why Mitch Marner's not running guys through the boards, and I get why Nick Robertson's not running guys through the boards. But why the fuck isn't he? He's six foot five, two hundred and whatever. How do you not have that in your and fast? He can skate like, like he he could really like he, damage he could some line, people. He actually could catch guys like you know. Hey, I, I I'll give Wayne Simmons all kinds of credit. He's trying <laughs> to hit guys. He just sometimes can't catch them. <laughs> Pierre Engvall should be able to catch them. And he also probably outweighs Simmons by like 80 pounds. Like I, I, it doesn't make a lick of sense to me that you've made it, that he's been able to make it this far in the NHL and in his professional hockey career, being that big without somebody being like, either you hit 10 guys a night or you're never playing again. Like how's some coach not saying that? You'd be able to accept that part of his game or the the lack of that being in his game a little more if he did anything else. Like like, he is arguably like one of the worst passers I've seen play for the Leafs in my life. Like this guy, he just panics. How many times have we seen him so far carrying the puck through the neutral zone and three steps before the center ice line, he dumps it into the offensive zone. Yeah. Like, 
what are you doing, man? Not only should you be able to skate that puck through the neutral zone with control anyway because of your physical abilities and the way that you can skate, but to not even have the the awareness to make sure you gain center ice to avoid an icing, like it, it's happened multiple times. I, I just he's frustrating me beyond words, to be honest. <laughs> and if you're getting and if it, and and for the size of him, if there's a defenseman that's you know pinching up onto the red line to keep him from doing that, he should absolutely be able to you know take the hit to dump yeah. that in. Like if I'm if I'm watching Dennis Mulligan do that, then why the well, hell? Well, we've like, seen Mulligan and Robertson both take hits to make plays with the puck multiple and times. I've seen Mulligan throw a few, yeah. I've seen Mulligan throw a few hits like behind the net and stuff on the forecheck, like more so than I've seen from out of angle like it, it really is the office space what do you do here yeah thing? like that's that's angle yeah like at, at least those smaller players that you're talking about like and even kerfoot to an extent at least they have you know as the kids say that dog in them to some extent like there <laughs> yeah. is no animal inside of pierre angle at all except for that <laughs> monkey clanging there the is symbols. there is the, the dog in pierre <laughs> The dog in Pierre is one of those dogs that always tries to like crawl under the little spaces that they could fit when they were a puppy because they still think they're tiny. That, that's that's the dog in Pierre. <laughs> oh God, two point two million. I mean, it's, or two point one, whatever it is. It's it's too much. Two point two five. I got a little bit of flack on Twitter for saying this the other day, but like, you can't convince me that that guy is you know, one point or one and a half million dollars more valuable than uh, a Pontus Holmberg or Alex Steves or someone like that. Like those guys can come in this lineup and give you everything and more that Engvall has done so far. I believe anyway, my buddy who's uh, uh, used to play, you know, in the queue and, and see like AUS hockey and stuff was messaging me the other night um, when it was on and he was like, Engvall should be making seven hundred grand in Arizona's compound right now. Yeah, <laughs> like that's yeah. like that's that's exactly like he is. There's no, I don't get it. That's one of the like I said earlier. There's plenty of reasons that I I can criticize Dubis's decision making. His love of Engvall and Hall are yeah. one of them, and you can throw all you can throw all the fucking numbers at me that you want about Justin Hall. The same thing. You can't convince me that what he's doing right now, that Jordy Ben couldn't do it for seven hundred and fifty grand or whatever yeah. he makes. Like it's 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 not that I, I I I mean it is that I don't like the player, but it's also it's the the dollar figure attached to those two guys that make it so much worse. If they were making league minimum, yeah, I could live with it a bit more. But they're not, and they're eating into that money that could be spent in the top. Yeah, hundred percent. And like. Dubas has been criticized heavily over the last few years, you know, following playoff disappointment after playoff disappointment for being too loyal to his core. I would argue that he's been too loyal to some guys that are outside of the core, such as Engvall and Justin Hall. And I mean, the, the Marley's, the Marley's guys. The guys that won the Calder Cup in the and, and not to be completely revisionist, because th- there was a time where Justin Hall provided great value for the money he's making. But And it, it doesn't change the fact that he was a, a, a great acquisition for for what he was, you know. And a, ni- and a, and a nice story. And a great story. Great story. But yeah. that was then, and this is now, and now he doesn't look like a guy who should be in an NHL lineup. Like, and he was also getting that when he was playing with the very best version of Muzzin that we had in a Leafs yeah, jersey. Yeah, exactly. So, 
that's got to you got to factor that. Yeah, into. Like, Hall right now doesn't look like he can retrieve a puck. Every time it's on his stick, he's bobbling it. He's falling down, skating backwards in defensive transition. It's co- it's reaching comical levels. It's borderline like mean that they continue to put them up, <laughs> put them on the ice. Like give the guy. And I a feel break. bad because everything that you see of Justin Hall off the ice, he seems like a fantastic dude, great teammate. I can understand the attachment that the organization has to him in that sense. But we're, we're just looking at the way that this guy is playing on the ice right now. And he has been a tire fire. Give him a player development role in the Barleys in that front office. And he <laughs> can't play hockey anymore. Yeah. The, the, it's been a, just a comedy of errors on the blue line this season. And, and you know, like, yeah, not to absolve everyone else either. You're right, Cam, because it's not only him. And it's, it's not just the, the performance, it's just the way it was constructed coming in, right? Like it's, yeah. you know, we, we had the Muzzin conversation in the off season and we, we, you know, said that you had to, had to at least look into, you know, wh- wh- what can you do with this guy? Is, is there an option? And maybe, maybe it was looked into, but here you are, it's, you know, he, he played how many games and, and it's looks like it might be a season ender and you just, you, you have no backup plan and you look at like the goaltending, you know, you had a couple of guys who are major question marks more so than, you know, maybe in any other year past. And it seems like this was the least goaltending depth the Leafs have had in recent years. You know, usually they've had like someone like Hutchinson down in the minors who would be like a capable backup as their number three. And, and, you know, Shogren has not been that. So like, those are, those are more, you know, things along the same lines. And I wanted to talk about the goaltending too, um, because it's been mostly positive, but but before we get into the positive, we we can just wrap up our our the lamenting portion of our podcast for this week, maybe. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, then that's all, all, almost another Keith thing too, because like the insistence on like there've been a couple of games here where it's like, why why is Shogren getting this start? Why is well, Samsonov going? There was you know the talk that Samsonov was feeling a bit under the weather at points during the Western road trip, so I can kind of understand trying to manage his workload through that. But when your next best option is Eric Schalgren, I mean, it's not good. And, you know, the organization is dealing with some injuries. I mean, maybe Joseph Wall is ahead of Schalgren on the depth chart if he's healthy, but he's not. And he hasn't been healthy for, you know, significant stretches of multiple seasons now. So, it really feels like they need to insulate that duo of Samsonov and uh, Murray when he's healthy. If he comes back healthy, they definitely need to find a way to insulate that uh, duo a little bit better than what they have right now. Well, a couple of positive minutes here at the end. Ilya Samsonov, pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. And like exciting because of his age and the RFA He's younger than Shaldron. Like, hey, he, he Shaldron is older. <laughs> he could be the guy like for the next few years. Like it, it, it's, I know we, we kind of alluded to that early, you know, in, the, in either the first pod or the preseason pod or whatever it was, but it was, he's like 25 years old. Right. And is, is that right? I think, I think something 25, maybe 26, but he's, he's not 25. Old. He's a pretty young guys. RFA at the end of the year and could, you know, be on a uh, potentially get him on like a nice little long term deal and and not feel too bad about that if he continues to do this. Yeah, you, you got to feel good about it. And I mean, the, they they certainly put him to work, right? Like there there have been some 
bad outings. They've been piss poor in front of them. That Los Angeles game. The Vegas one was Yeah, outrageous. Vegas was bad. The Los Angeles game, I thought that they were just like, they were so porous in the middle of the ice. They let everything through. It was it was terrible defensive performance. Every shot was like a grade A scoring chance for a while, especially like, like I, I, I maybe I've like blocked out the LA game. Like I can't even remember it, but the Vegas game in particular was like just like complete breakdowns and guys wide open in front of the net and he was you know they wasted his probably best performance i think like he he played very well well samsonov has played in six of the 10 games so far how many of those do you think it would be fair to say that he was the best leaf on the ice more than half of them more oh, than yeah. half for sure i was gonna say four or five yeah, yeah. absolutely Maybe the like the Winnipeg game. I think there was some good performances outside of the net, and then you have Robertson's probably performance against Dallas. Like, yeah. And, and other than that, other than that, I'd have a hard time. Yeah, and that's a credit to Samsonov, but at the same time, it's a, it's a definite indictment on the rest of the squad and the way that they've played so far. Yeah, and you know, it's great that you've gotten this performance out of him, and and you you know you have a little bit more confidence in what you've got back there, but. Um, uh, the flip side of it is you, you still don't know what you have in Murray, and now you're going to find out later in the season than you would have if he weren't injured. And yeah. you could be at a point where, like, Samsonov's kind of history has been he, he kind of flags a little bit as the season goes on. He wears down a little bit, and, and those numbers drop off. And, and maybe that, you know, maybe he turns that around this season, but you kind of have to have that expectation. And, um, yeah, it would be a good time to start filling the net. Yeah, yeah that's been true. But that's why you have the tandem. Like you, you just have to hope that one guy is up when one guy is down. And, and unfortunately, we haven't been able to see that yet because Murray's been hurt. But uh, I mean, I just I, I don't I don't know. I think that if you if they're both healthy, it's just as simple as riding the hot hand and, and hoping that if if. Samsonov does do what he's done so far in his career and cool off that Murray will be able to step in and at least give you again that kind of nine ten or or you know in the nine eight to nine ten range of kind of average goaltending and and not just kind of sink the ship with the way that you know uh, uh, like Shalgren's playing right now and again it's not even really fair to Shalgren like it's not like I mean he hasn't been good but it's not like he's lost games on his own like the team's been piss poor in front of him. Yeah, I I'd, I'd say that's fair. How much of the um you know backlash the the negative response to the the start is because of who it's come against. Like this has not exactly been a tough stretch. I think that's a no. big part of it. Like you have a 3-1 lead against the Anaheim Ducks in the third period on Sunday night like there is no way that you shouldn't be walking out of that building and getting on the plane to fly home with two points. And I hope that that felt like a really, really long flight for those guys after that road trip. Yeah, that's that's the most like unforgivable one. But yeah, I mean, you like losing to. I mean, LA is no pushover, but like losing to Anaheim, San Jose, Arizona, Montreal, like that's. I think you could live with this. 500 which is not even really 500 we're kind of kidding ourselves saying it's 500 They're, they've lost the other two games it's it's less than 500 but yeah um i think you can live with this start a lot more if you have already played the bostons and carolinas that you're about to play um they haven't exactly played really any world beaters yet washington 
am I forgetting anybody else? Is Washington the best team they played and they beat them? Dallas is pretty good. They beat Dallas. Depends how you feel about Vegas. Yeah, I suppose. Vegas is probably, I, I do think Vegas is good. That's probably, you know, a fair assessment. But even then, like they didn't give you anything in that game to even look like they, you know, had a chance in it really. I know they kind of made it a little bit, you know, entertaining or, or kind of, I don't know what word I'm looking for, but interesting at one point, but even then they were so far out of that game and how they were playing that it was hard to really evaluate them against that kind of competition, but they looked pretty good against Dallas and Winnipeg. And that's kind of, I know the knock on the team is that they play down to their competition, but ultimately it's good teams in the playoffs. So I don't really care. Like I I know you want to beat those teams and bank the easy points, but if they show that they can play against Boston and Carolina coming up, I mean, I'll, I'll be a lot more kind of confident in the team after that. But I do think that if, if they lose, like if they don't get, if they, I mean, I don't, I don't even. They know. need to. They desperate, desperately, desperately need to string some wins together, starting on Wednesday night against the Flyers. But if we're looking at three losses in a row, if they lose to Philly and then Boston and Carolina, that might be it. Yeah, that could that that might be it for Keith. That's yeah. what I mean. They desperately need to start stringing some wins together. I mean, I don't think that it's a matter of you know one more loss and he's canned, but each one that occurs shortens the leash a bit and it's the it's the way they're There's losing subjectiveness to it yeah, yeah it's it's exactly yeah if, if it's these efforts that you know blowing late leads late and just not showing up on time and, and kind of the inexcusable stuff it might not take that long so boston is saturday carolina sunday if they lose to the flyers wednesday night who it's going to get loud. It's going to be a bad few days. That's like the worst part. Like that's your worst enemy. The days off in the early season when you're struggling because all those losses just seem to carry so much more weight because you have so such a little sample to, to go on. Uh, you lose to the Flyers and then you've got another few days off. Like these have been a couple of noisy days off, right? It's going to be so much worse Thursday, Friday if they, if they The lose. Flyers have been – I know the Flyers have a good record. Hart's playing out of his mind. I think I looked earlier today. The Flyers have like 30% of the expected goals and the Leafs get them on the second half of a back-to-back with their backup in so you don't even have the Carter Hart playing out of his mind (laughs) if they lose if they lose to a tired Flyers team on the road on the second half of a back-to-back with their backup in that's that's I don't I don't even know (laughs) it's we've seen worse I guess they lost to and especially with the with what we yeah, know is coming exactly you got to roll you got to roll and you got uh carolina sunday night that's an espn game too so like if you if, if you get your pp whacked on sunday night it's gonna be bad i was gonna use the uh, term pp whack boys earlier I, I don't know if you guys have heard that uh referenced before again by our pal sammy mckee from fan 590 Uh, that's uh, a name that he is used to perhaps less than affectionately refer to uh the the big guys in the leafs roster as the the pp whack boys once in a while need to be i don't know how to say (laughs) pp whack yeah get their get their pp's yeah Well, now that we have uh, sufficiently lamented the Leafs, just a a little bit of perspective to maybe offer a glimmer of hope here before we start to wind things down. The Colorado Avalanche are 4-4-1. The Minnesota Wild are 4-4-1. The St. Louis Blues are 3-5-0. The Pittsburgh Penguins are Uh, 4-4-1. It's not as if... What's Tampa? 
Tampa is only 5-4-0. and oh, So, I mean, it's they have the same amount of points as the Leafs with one game in hand. So, it's not as if the season has completely gotten away from them uh, in the first month here. But as Sheldon Keefe said earlier today, I, I think that the club is actually lucky to have as many points as they do with the way that they've played so far. So, now that they're, they're still kind of right in that mix with with some of those other big teams who have maybe gotten off to slow starts of their own it, it's really time to start you know putting the the pedal to the floor and, and getting this sorted out and starting to rack up some wins yeah it's just it's always going to feel like a free fall until you get a foothold yeah. right like you just it's it's the way it is and and yeah this i mean i feel like this uh like i said this long stretch here between games like if that flyers loss happens it's it's going to get loud. so It'll um, get particularly loud just for us with our pal Leo, who we may not have referenced as often so far this season, but I'm sure we'll be hearing from him on Wednesday if it doesn't go the Leafs way. I hear from him every single day. It's not... <laughs> it's exhausting. But I had to. I had a fucking hour-long conversation with him today about him still saying that the Leafs are a run-and-gun team that doesn't play any kind of possession hockey that just tries to outscore their problems. And I was like, have you watched them in the last two years? <laughs> like, th- that maybe was the case in, like, the very early days of the Matthews era when they had Ron Hainsey and Matt Hunwick and fucking Nikita Zaitsev on the blue line and nobody could play defense. That's not the case. They haven't, they, they've been, if anything, not run-and-gun enough. They can't. They don't score off the rush that much. Like, they're just... It's uh, anyways. That's they a, certainly uh, haven't so far this season. No, and you know that that's a, a big part of the game that they have got to get figured out again. It's just everything is out of sync. Nothing seems crisp. They're not you know hitting their man in stride with those transition passes in the neutral zone. It just everything is disjointed, and, and it feels like once things kind of get back on the rails, starting with the the top of the lineup, I, I think everything will start to fall into place, and we'll get a better look at the team that maybe we expected to see coming into this season yeah it's just a matter of when they uh they get it together and and, yeah and if uh if everyone who we expected to to see in our expectations is still there uh by the time they get it going and and it's it's a weird feeling right now as we sign off fellas because usually like i only have this feeling when we're doing our last show before like the the trade deadline or before the uh, before free agency where i kind of feel like our next podcast could be an emergency podcast (laughs) yeah yep Let's hope not. Go Leafs. Go Leafs. Yeah, sure. Why not? (laughs) 